leading us this morning. It's always fun to switch it up a little bit, isn't it? And Chris has got a phenomenal voice, uh, and I don't mean that, I mean your voice is great, but I mean uh, prophetically and in the spirit, we just appreciate what, you're do, what you did for us and with us this morning, Chris, leading us into the presence of God like that. Uh, before we get into the word this morning, just a real quick uh, heads up. Uh, this is Mission Sunday, and because of your faithfulness, because of the faithfulness of the people that join us online all over the world, and the pooling of our resources, we are able to support partners locally and all around the world, and so we're going to receive a missions offering at the end uh, of the service. If you want to give, you can do that contact-free. If you're watching online, you want to go ahead and give right now, you can do that as well. All those funds go to see our partners finance and to see the kingdom advance through missions all around the world and even locally as well. But also, I want to let you know that this is December, and every December we have a tradition in this house that we call extravagant giving. It has nothing to do with being compelled to give. It's just another opportunity for us to say, in the face of all the consumerism, in the face of every message that would try to get us to do what other people uh, spend our money on ourselves or on other people, we want to be generous in giving towards those around us. And the way that we do that in this house is we uh, identify three partners— uh, an in-house partner, a local partner, and an international partner. We pool our resources together. We give above and beyond the 10%, above and beyond our regular missions giving. And it's not under compulsion. It's just joyfully. So if you want to participate in that, you can. And we pool those resources and then divide them and send them out. And this year, I'm excited to say this. The money that we're going to use is really seeding and dreaming projects that God has given to us. And so the first one is our in-house project. That's for our children. Rebecca Hannon, who leads our kids, has an incredible vision for what God wants to do there, but really an incredible vision for what God could do with our children in terms of worship, in terms of training them not only to be worshipers in their hearts and with their voices, but also training them to lead us in worship, to be skilled musicians, to develop a, a skill and a heart that would go along with it. So that by the time they're uh, 12, 13 years old, they could be leading us, maybe even earlier, they could be leading us in this sanctuary in worship. And I think that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so our, our local in-house uh, giving this year is going to go to developing a space and instruments and almost like a studio to see that developed for our kids, which I think is a beautiful uh, vision to seed into. The next one we're going to seed into is something that doesn't exist yet either, and that's a women's home for Teen Challenge in Buffalo, New York. They have them in Long Island, but what would it look like? Dave and Kitty Benyak are part of our congregation. They, they run Teen Challenge on the men's side, and they have a vision to see a woman's home established. And so we want to give some seed money into that, and probably, not probably, there is also some other giving that we'll be able to do to see that be an integral part of the ministry that God does at New Covenant. So we're going to give to that as well. And then our international partner is Engineering Ministries International. That's Gary and Judy McPhee, who are based out of Colorado, who have not been able to travel at all uh, in the last eight months, but they have, they have a great program in that they raise up partners all over the world, and they don't raise money in the United States and then fund them. They actually teach these professionals, these engineers, these architects all over the world to do po projects and cr uh, receive small amounts of money for the projects they're doing that pay their local salaries. It's a really healthy uh, way to do ministry, but here's what happens. When the pandemic came and they couldn't do that work, those local partners couldn't make their normal wages, and so EMI has decided that they are not going to lay off any of their international partners, and so they've created a fund that we're going to give into as well, so those partners are able to continue to work, sometimes for free, in the places that they are eventually being able to go back to 
receiving funds and have a healthy setup with the people that they work for. So those are our three partners for this year. You are always so generous. Please don't feel guilt or compulsion to do this. We just wanna open it up and make opportunity for us to be generous. We believe as we are generous, God pours even more into our hearts and our lives. And so we wanna see what God would do with that. All right, let's talk about what the word this morning. Uh, and as we get into it, I, I just wanna say, you know, Christmas time for some of you is exciting because you get to come and hear over the four, three or four weeks of December that we have before Christmas about how much your pastor hates Christmas. Now, if you haven't been around us before, you'll find this out over the next few weeks that Christmas is not my favorite time of the year, although it's, uh, God is changing my heart and growing, but sometimes Christmas is overwhelming for me. Let me just say that. I'll, and maybe it's overwhelming for some of, some of you. How many of you have watched Hallmark movies and just been overwhelmed by the amount of decorations that are in those movies? I didn't know that, that Americans had unlimited budgets for Christmas decorations, but apparently everybody in Hallmark movies does. Some of us are just overwhelmed by the amount of decorations, but really Christmas can be about being overwhelmed by other things as well. Maybe some past hurt that you've experienced in your family. Maybe some regrets that you have throughout the years are brought up at this time. Maybe it's the financial strain of the expectations that we have of what Christmas should look like and what we do with it. Maybe it's loss. Maybe you've lost somebody uh, relationally in your family in this last year, so Christmas is going to feel different. Maybe you've lost them years ago, and every Christmas it's just brought up that this, it becomes this overwhelming experience for you because of loss. And for some of us, it's just the stuff of Christmas that's overwhelming, not just the decorations, but the parties, the gifts, the expectations. Maybe it's the food everywhere. Maybe you've been, you've been eating really good, and all of a sudden you're just overwhelmed by a deluge of, the, of cookies that are your, all 40 of them that are in front of you are your favorites. We tried to narrow it down last night at dinner time of the four kinds of cookies, that, Christmas cookies that we're going to make this year. And I went through the book afterwards, and I think I put bookmarks in it about 25 cookies. And I don't know if I could have Christmas without all 25 of these cookies. It can be very overwhelming. But the truth is this, it's not just Christmas that we're overwhelmed by. Many of us are overwhelmed by the pandemic. Many, many of us are overwhelmed by a second wave and what that means for our lives and for our business. Maybe it's an economic job uncertainty. In this time, you're overwhelmed because things are not going as they should be or, or you just don't know how you're going to make it. Maybe it's relational upheaval that's happened. Maybe it's an overwhelming sense of a lack of relationship or maybe you can't do your regular traditions and so you're overwhelmed, like what do we do with this? Listen, honestly, we could even be overwhelmed by a season of sin. A season where we have decided to live our lives according to our own rules, where we walked away from God or we forgot who God was, or we, we just kind of ignored our relationship with Jesus. We, we stopped living in the reality of who he is and who we are, and we've lost our intimacy. And because we've lost that intimacy, we're overwhelmed by the world. See, being overwhelmed is a part of the human condition. But I want to tell you this. In God's economy, it's not normal. God hasn't created human beings to be overwhelmed. We become overwhelmed when we serve other things, when mindsets that are around us uh, come against the way God has called us to live and we become overwhelmed by those things. I want to look at a scripture this morning where this happened to a man and I want to look at what God did to bring freedom into that place. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel 16, we pick up the story of the kingdom of Israel being led by Saul. And here's what it says. It says, now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. He's a king right now, and the Spirit of the Lord has left him. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression 
and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and he has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. And so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. And Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey, loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Jesus, as we look at your word this morning, as we understand who you are and who we are and we understand the things that you have put into our lives. Father, I pray that you would show us the mighty power of worship, not only to transform our own lives, but to see your kingdom come for others as well. Jesus, we do pray as we read and as we sing and as we prayed already that you would be lifted high and draw all men unto yourselves. May our lips be filled with your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series this morning called Mighty, where we're looking at throughout Scripture where people are filled with God's mighty power. We're looking at where God's mighty people, using God's mighty weapons, see mighty kingdom results. But what's unique about all of these experiences is that God takes people who don't seem that mighty, and he gives them things to do that don't seem that mighty to do, and yet God still sees mighty kingdom results from these actions, from these seemingly unmighty people using seemingly unmighty tools to see mighty kingdom results. And this morning I want to talk about this. When you read what Scripture says in verse 18 of chapter 16, it describes David as a mighty warrior. Saul is in need of somebody, and it describes David, one of the words is a brave warrior or a mighty warrior. It's the Hebrew word, gibor chayil. We're looking at people who are gibor, who are mighty, and what does it mean to be mighty in God. David was a mighty warrior, not only in battle, but also in the spirit. In his day, he was known for his fierceness in battle. He was known for his success in battle. He was known for his ability to lead people into places where the odds were absolutely stacked against him, and he would see mighty kingdom results. But David, just as much as he was known as a mighty warrior, was also known as a man who was mighty in spirit. In fact, we have record of what this is because we have the Psalms. He was, he was a talented harp player, Scripture says, but we also have the, the record of the words that he put to his worship, to his music, so that God could be praised. In fact, if you think about the most famous story of David, David and Goliath, we think of that oftentimes as a military account. Somebody who is very powerful militarily, Goliath, going against somebody who's not so powerful in a military way, David, and God using somebody who's not powerful in the military way, in a mighty way, to take down the giant. But I don't think that it's primarily a count about military might. I think it's primarily a count about worship. 
If you look at the account, you'll see a couple things that are very interesting. When Goliath comes and starts to defy Israel, he also defies God. And when David specifically comes against Goliath, Scripture says that Goliath curses David with the names of his gods. He's literally worshiping his gods with his words, and he's saying, my gods are greater. And when David comes to Goliath, he, he says, you come at me with a sword and with a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. And he says, I'm going to cut your head off. And then if you look a little bit later, he says this. He says in verse 47 of chapter 17, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and the spear. This is is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David is literally saying, this is a war of worship. Who are we going to praise? Who are we going to acknowledge as God? And so David was mighty in battle, but he was also mighty in his worship. Here's the thing. God is always taking the least mighty thing and making them mighty. And let's look at what happened here in this account with King Saul. First of all, we have to understand the Spirit of God had left Saul. And when the Spirit of God had left Saul, it left him open to a bunch of things. It left him open to a tormenting spirit. And that tormenting spirit brought oppression in the forms of depression and fear. And when the the, the advisors of Saul said, hey, we should do something about this, they said, let's find a musician who will play some soothing music, and it will be good for you. But what we have to understand here is sometimes we think of music as just something that makes us feel better. How many of you have one of those days where you just need your song, right? Like if you play a song, I'll feel better. I don't know what your song is. Maybe it's worship music. Maybe it's Frank Sinatra. Maybe it's Christmas music because you're one of those crazy people that think Christmas music should be played all year round and everybody will be happy and jolly if just Christmas music plays. I don't know what it is. But here's the thing. It's not just music that was making a difference in this moment. It was worship that was making a difference. It was soothing music versus powerful music. It was feeling better versus the tormenting spirit going away. And when David, who was full of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God had left Saul, but David, who was full of the Spirit of God, came and he played. In that moment, spiritual warfare was taking place. And God's mighty weapons caused that tormenting spirit to go away. Worship is powerful primarily because it is full of the presence of the Lord. Anytime we worship, and I mean truly worship, not just singing our favorite worship songs that make us feel good, it's, it is full of the presence of God. Our worship is full of the presence of God. What is the effect of this worship? Let's talk about it really quickly. First, worship is mighty to free us from depression. Why? Because when we stop focusing on ourselves and our circumstances and we come into God's presence and we focus on who he is it is the beginning of being released from our depression worship is mighty to free us from fear because worship reminds us that the God that we, whose presence we are in is powerful and he is in control and he is able to walk with us through every circumstance and he is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It may not go exactly as we want it to go. It may not go in a way that is most comfortable for us, but we do not have to fear. Why? Because he is with us and worship is full of the presence of God. Worship is also mighty to free us from oppression. Literally, when we sing, when we come into the presence of God, the demonic forces 
have to go. Have to go. There is no battle in the spiritual realm where the forces of the enemy go, ah, we're a little bit stronger than God here. Uh, we're, We're the big demons, so back off. No, when we come into God's presence in worship, it changes the atmosphere around us, and that which is overwhelming to us disappears, and we can hear who God is. We can hear who we are in him, and it frees us from oppression. And also, worship is mighty to establish and bring healing and closeness and reconciliation in relationships. Worship is powerful when it comes to relationships. Why? First of all, because it aligns us with him. Right? When we worship the Lord, truly, I'm not just talking about singing songs, I'm talking about really lifting him up and connecting with who he is and recognizing his power and his presence and the truth of his word. When we do that, what happens? He becomes who he should be in our lives. And it aligns our hearts with him. It it puts us back into a relationship with him that we ought to have all the time. But here's the other thing that happens. It also reconciles relationships with others. It is very hard to come into God's presence and truly worship him and still be mad at him. It's very hard to come into God's presence and truly worship him and hate the person next to us. What does that mean? If you walk into church and you sing and you walk out and you're still hating the person that you came in with or your neighbor or somebody else, you have not worshiped the Lord. You sang some songs. You might have felt better for a little while, but you haven't aligned your heart with him. But when we align our heart with him and we live in his presence, we are transformed and our relationships are transformed as well. Listen, this was not just something for David and Saul, it's something for us. One of the theme verses for this series is 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. It says this, we are human but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture the rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. See, worship is one of these mighty weapons. Praise is one of these mighty weapons. It does literally what the scripture says. It takes the mindsets that are against the knowledge of God that we bring into the place or that other people have and it shifts them because we recognize who God really is. Worship is one of these weapons. It brings us into his presence. It allows us to put our focus on him instead of ourselves. It brings us into the reality of reality and it sets our hearts right with him and often with others. Here's the thing, though. Worship ought to not just happen when we're in this place. Worship should not just happen when we've had a bad day and we, we, we need to put some music on. Worship should happen for believers at all times. Ephesians chapter 5, 16 through 19 says this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What is his will? In other words, if you, if you believe we are living in evil days, if you believe that that we are living in a time where, where the work of the enemy is wreaking havoc on people around us and even on believers. What does God want us to do? What is his answer in these times? What is his mighty weapon? What does he want his people to do when it comes to a, a world that's ripped apart politically? What does God want us to do? What is his will? His will is literally this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Don't, don't Fill yourself with other stuff and put your head in the sand, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And what's the result of the presence of God among us? When we are filled with the Spirit, when we carry the Spirit as David did into this circumstance, it results in singing hymns and psalms 
and spiritual songs among ourselves. We gather together and we sing and declare who God is. But it also is something we ought to do personally. We make music in our hearts to the Lord. We get to worship him at all times. How do we personally engage in this? We personally engage in this by offering ourselves to worship him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. We come to him with our lives and we give them in worship. This is truly the way, Scripture says, to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Use God's mighty weapons of worship, giving our lives to him, and he will transform the way that we think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Notice in Romans and in Ephesians, both of these verses talk about knowing God's will for our lives. When we are overwhelmed, we often forget why God has created us. When we're overwhelmed, we forget who we are. We forget whose we are. We forget what weapons we have in our hands. But let us remember when we are overwhelmed or every other time that worship is a powerful and a mighty weapon in the hands of those who will worship the Lord because it brings us into God's presence. And it establishes God's word not only in our lives but also so oftentimes for other people like it did for Saul. Let's be personally engaged in this. But here's the thing. Sometimes we come into our lives or into a situation, we expect somebody else to be our David. Like, have you ever had a Saul kind of day? Overwhelmed, oppressed, depression, fear. And maybe you come home and you want your spouse to be David to you. Like, you want to just, like, dump all your Saul on them and you want them to, like, sing something, say something nice, bring you into a good spot, Right? You've been oppressed, maybe you're at home all day with your kids and you've been oppressed by your children. Or maybe you've been at work all day and you've been oppressed by coworkers and you come into that place and you want somebody else to be your David. Guess what? As believers, we, we get to be David all the time. Because we have the presence of God, we can bring that into every situation. And how do we do that? We do that by personal engagement. But here's the thing. David was not the first shepherd to be anointed to worship the Lord. It's, it, it is Christmas, right? It is December. Think about it. Shepherds out in probably the same fields where David was a shepherd were watching their flocks, Luke chapter 2. And an angel appeared to them. And he declared the glory of God. He declared the greatness of God. He, the angels literally worshiped the Lord and told the shepherds all about it. And in Luke chapter 2, It says this, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. God is literally using the broken, the despised, the outcasts, the ones who are working at night with some lowly, smelly sheep to receive the first announcement outside of God's family that God was doing something special in the earth. And what was their response to it? They went and they did something about it. They personally engaged in it. And in verse 20 it says this, the shepherds went back to their flocks after seeing all of this, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as the angel had told them. See, God's always taking what's lowly, what's unexpected, 
people that are without influence or a voice, people that are second or third or fourth choice or maybe wouldn't be chosen at all. God is always taking those things that are people that are seemingly unmighty and giving them something that doesn't seem like that powerful. The testimony of a shepherd was not considered very powerful. He could have he done it with a, a bunch of other people that were more important in society. But who did he choose to fill with the message of the gospel? He chose that which was lowly, that which was unmighty. And he anointed them. And we don't know who these guys, we don't have the records of these guys' names, but we know what they did. We know what they experienced. What if, what if God would take a people from Buffalo, New York, an insignificant city. I mean, I know we like to say our city, but like really, an insignificant city. From a church that's not the biggest mega church around in our region or really anywhere? What if God took a group of people that were kind of broken but who knew who God was and knew who, what God had said to them about who they were? What if he took a, a group of people and, that weren't so, so seemingly mighty and filled them with something so powerful and so mighty that it changed them? What if he changed us what if he changed our families through our worship? Like, what if we really believed that what we sing and how we worship the Lord mattered to the eternity of people around us? What if, what if he used us to change a neighborhood or a school or a business place? Not because we're powerful, not because we're mighty, but because in God we are God's mighty people. Because in him our worship is powerful. Because we have his presence. Because we're filled with his presence. Because when we worship, his presence is established and he changes things. What if it changed a region? Or a state? Or a nation? Simply because we gave ourselves in abandoned worship as living sacrifices to the Lord. If you want to do that, would you stand with me this morning? If you're at home, would you respond in some way, physically, maybe standing or kneeling, bowing your head? I want to pray that God would fill us with the message of the good news in a way that would transform our lives and those around us, that we would really believe that our worship is powerful. God, would you align our hearts with your kingdom? Lord, in those places that we have not experienced your presence, I pray that we would experience it fresh and anew. And in that, we would experience true worship. That we would be the people that worship you in spirit and in truth. That you would fill us with your spirit and you would fill us with words and you would fill us with melodies. That we would be the people of God who use your mighty weapons that are seemingly not that powerful. That in those moments where we face overwhelming odds, that you would fill us with a song that declares your glory and causes us to experience your presence like never before. And God, would you use us, your people, filled with your presence, with your mighty tool, mighty weapon of worship, to affect not just our lives, 
but those around us. Would you build your kingdom in us and through us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen.